it still comes down to blocking and tackling. Just the basics, man. Just have a goal, have a plan, work hard, help people, be a good human being. The golden rule, don't be a jerk. You know, like my grandma always said, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Your Marketing Moment is about those significant events or moments in time that transform a career or business and how you too can create a marketing moment of your own. John Nee, president of Act One Partners, a marketing strategy and experiential firm, interviews business leaders about their marketing moments and covers significant marketing moments in history and their impact on how we do business today. Short and usually focused on a single event, your marketing moment takes just a moment of your day, but can ultimately prove momentous for your own career or business. Welcome to your marketing moment. I'm John Nee. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting Ross Bernstein. Ross is someone who I've wanted to have on our show for a while, and I'm looking forward to his insights as we learn more about his marketing moment. You may recognize Ross's name, and maybe you've seen him speak or read his books. He's the best-selling author of nearly 50 sports books and has appeared on thousands of television and radio programs over his career, including CNN and ESPN. As a nationally recognized motivational speaker, Ross uses sports as a metaphor for life and business to energize and inspire his audiences, ultimately getting them to think differently. Ross's program, The Champion's Code, not only illustrates what it takes to become the best of the best, it also explores the fine line between cheating and gamesmanship in sports as it relates to ethics and accountability in the workplace. He's an author, a journalist, an inspirational business speaker, and our guest today. Ross, welcome to your marketing moment. Thanks, John. It's great to be with you. Well, thank you. Well, we like to start our conversation with an update on what you're currently doing professionally. Yeah, well, you you hit a lot there. I, that was a great intro. I, uh, I I'm a I'm a full time professional uh, speaker, so I, I keynote about 130 conferences a year. So I literally live on the road. My wife and I are kind of on the road together, so we're probably gone 250 days a year, uh, hotel to hotel. And today I'm coming to you from uh, the beautiful uh, Terranea Resort in Palos Verdes, California. So it, today's a, this is a good week. I just came from the Ritz Carlton in Laguna Beach. <laughs> so, uh, but by the laws of speaker karma, I'll be at the Ramcota in Sioux Falls next week. So it all works out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the yin and yang of life, right? That's right. That's right. Or at least of weather. <laughs> well, Ross, what we like to do here on your marketing moment is really explore the marketing moments of our guests. And we consider marketing moments as that defining moment or maybe a period of time where you saw your career or your business transform. So what was your marketing moment as you look back on your career and your, your, your personal trajectory of, um, of, your, of your profession and your brand? What was that marketing moment? Well, I, that's a great question. I, I tell you, there's, there's really two that I would touch on. Um, the first was really realizing that, you know, I, I've written about 50 sports books, but realizing that, you know, I was going to get disrupted by Amazon. I could see the writing in the wall with Kindles, Nooks, Audibles coming, that I had better get out of the book business and get into the speaking business and transform the content that I was curating, being a working member of the media, interviewing athletes and coaches and studying sports, which is my passion, but realizing I needed a different platform. So, you know, 
once I started realizing, you know, I was for marketing for me, I, I, I always said I was a good writer, but a great marketer. And there's a big difference because I understood how to get on TV, how to get on the radio, how to get print uh, reviews. I've done thousands uh, from major networks, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, uh, all over the world to every major newspaper in North America. Sometimes I, you know, when my books would come out for Christmas, I would sometimes I would coordinate in a day. Uh, I might have th- three three book signings, three or four television interviews, and maybe 25 radio interviews. And they were back to back to back to back. And I've got a photographic memory, so I can remember day parts and demographics. So if I'm on in Portland, I'm talking about these athletes that are in the book. If I'm on in Duluth, Minnesota, I'm talking about those. So I could, I could, I could do it. And that's what sold books. And then I could see the transition coming where it wasn't so much about TV demographics and radio. It was more about likes, clicks, shares. It was about followers on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. And that was a different world. And I decided I didn't want to be a part of that world. That's why I decided I was going to go just, you know, books now, they became loss leaders. They were, they just became business cards that led to speaking engagements. I didn't want to pursue books anymore because everything changed. And that was my, my first big moment. Nice. Uh, did you do anything specifically? I mean, you obviously saw a trend coming and, and it sounded like you made some, some career moves or shifts in strategy, but was there anything specific that you did to set up that marketing moment? I really just kind of went all in. I mean, you know, that was a thing. A lot of, you know, a lot of speakers in my world write books, but books are just sort of a vanity play. It's sort of a business card. My previous life, because everyone as a professional speaker has a previous life, was writing books. I mean, that's what I did. I would write and publish them. I worked with some publishers, but if I didn't write a couple books a year, I didn't eat. So I had a lot of incentive to (laughs) sell books and to, you know, not just do book signings at Barnes and Noble where you're making, you know, a couple dollars, but I was doing book signings in the Mall of America where I would be like maybe at a at a store that just wanted me to sit outside and I would bring people in and then I could keep all the money. So I was, you know, I was just in the business of, of you know, every, you know, because the books have a shelf life of about a year. So, but understanding the marketing of the books was, you know, I would be, I was be able to really tie sports back to everything, you know, every TV broadcast, radio broadcast, you know, and really understanding who the end user was. I mean, my, my, my target audience was, was men typically who, who love sports, you know, fat guys like me who, you know, their wives and mothers want them to get off the couch and go read a book and stop watching TV or football or playing video games. But my, my, my customer was women and they're the ones buying it for the guys. Uh, so that's who I had to reach. So uh, I'd go on the, right. I'd go on ESPN to entertain my old fraternity brothers. I'd go on, you know, NPR to sell books. So there was a big difference. And I, it took me a while to understand that. So that was the first big shift. And then, you know, books transformed into documentaries, movies. I had one book about hockey fighting turned into a movie with an Academy Award-winning director. Uh, books became speeches. I've really transformed. That was the first big pivot. The second big pivot came in March 2020 when my world ended, uh, like so many of ours, when, when the pandemic hit right, and, right. you know, every... Every single one of my clients canceled. And after, you know, a three-week pity party of doing nothing but eating Cheetos, which did not go well, uh, a client called and said, hey, can you go, can you go virtual? We're going to go virtual. And I said, you mean like a webinar? And they said, no, Zoom. 
And I, and I said, of course. And here's me, you know, on Google, Zoom. What the hell is Zoom, right? <laughs> so, but luckily I, I, I was a very early adapter and I bought it, I learned it. I, I had to teach myself how to, you know, I teach myself how to do my, all my own mousetraps, right? Like, right. like I have to figure everything out myself. So, cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm the CEO and janitor of my business. I got to do everything myself. So figured it out. And, and I did a couple of things early on that worked really effectively. Number one, I've got a great background. I've got an office in my, in my home, my worldwide headquarters, as my mother uh, used to say, but um, it's all my sports memorabilia. So it looks like my third grade bedroom. So there's no questioning what I'm really passionate about. And number two, I ran my PowerPoint off a separate TV next to me so I could stand and deliver a virtual keynote, not a webinar where you see my fat head and my fat slides. <laughs> Big difference. I remember the CEO of Prudential said, I just watched you for 90 minutes and I didn't check my phone once. That's the first time I've ever done that during the pandemic. So I knew I was onto something and I could deliver right. energy in a different format. But that was a big pivot was, was going virtual to deliver that energy, looking into a, a, a pinhole of a computer when you're on with a thousand people trying to still deliver that message without getting any feedback. Right. But, you know, um, but that was, uh, uh, I mean, honestly, I, you know, I, it's interesting. I, I, I hadn't done a virtual keynote in probably a year and a half now, but I had one yesterday for a big group in Europe. So um, they're still there. And, I don't, and, and, and I, look, I, I was, my client yesterday was, was 500 financial advisors. And I told them, look, Zoom's not going anywhere. Uh, this just hyper-accelerated the process. I mean, I'm not meeting with my advisor in person anymore. We're going to meet on Zoom. So lean into it, embrace it. Don't suck at it. Be good at it. That was my right. point. Right. So you mentioned how you have a photographic memory. You also mentioned you're a quick learner. But what skills do you attribute to really putting yourself or your company in a spot to, that increases the likelihood of having that marketing moment? I think the big aha marketing moment for me was just realizing that I had to make it personal. So often now people with technology want to automate everything and they want to, you know, use a click funnel or a CRM and they just send out emails. For me, I'm still old fashioned. I'm still picking up the phone, smiling and dialing. And when I can build relationships and talk to the gatekeepers, the producer of the television uh, program, the you know, the producer of the radio show, the editor uh, or the segment producer at that, at that newspaper. And to tell them a quick pitch about, hey, I've got a, a new book that I think would be really valuable to your listeners, to your viewers. There's a lot of great information about these games, this, these teams that are relevant for you. And I became an answer to a problem. There's so much bad news now that they want good news. And I realized I was good news. I mean, my books, I'm not winning any Pulitzer Prizes. The reality is most of my sports books wind up in bathroom libraries, but they're really fun and they celebrate lives and history and moments. And that's what sports does. I mean, I think regular television would frankly be out of business if it weren't for sports and weather. No one would tune in. They can get it all on the web now. But sports is still that one magical thing where they want to see it up to date today. It changes hourly and they want to see it. So I've been, I learned I had this, this superpower, this purveyor of this great information. And I had access being a former wannabe athlete and interviewing all these players, talking to you know, Tom Brady and Wayne Gretzky. And so that I had inside information that people wanted, were interested in, and I could share that back. I had, I had something behind the curtain that was titillating that they wanted. And that became very seductive from, from a marketing perspective to sort of tease that. And then I learned that I could really 
in addition to just making calls and just not automating stuff, but you know, it was a ritual. I would call the producer, I would sign a, bu- a book for them, put it in an envelope with a personal letter, and I would only sign and date it. That way, if they wanted to re-gift it, it had value to them. They get the $25 book, they can give it to their kid or uncle or whatever, and, and then they would be more likely that they would say, you know what, we think this is a great idea. You know, we want you to come on and talk about it. So it was all free advertorial for me. I was never, uh, I've never paid for an interview and I've got millions of dollars of free, free pub to this. So that was the, the, the first point, I guess, was just being kind of real authentic and doing it and then learning how to leverage it. So for instance, you know, I wanted to do book signings in the Mall of America at the Barnes and Noble, which is one of their top three stores in the world. And these times, and I wanted Black Friday. I mean, I want the best time frame when people are going to be shopping. Because my books, I learned they only, I would only bring them out and, and, and release them in November because people needed a reason to buy them. Christmas. That was the ultimate shopping experience for women who are looking for <laughs> Uncle Bob and Cousin Dan. They don't know what to buy them. And, and my book became uh, the, 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 the answer to their problem. So I, I would call the, 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 the manager of the Barnes Noble and the Mall of America and say, I want to come in on, and they'd say, forget it. We have like, you know, celebrities, Hillary Clinton has a new book out. But, and then I would tell them, I'd say, oh, would it make a difference if I told you that that morning I have three primetime television interviews on CBS, ABC, NBC, and Fox, and I'm also doing right. some radio interviews. And then they'd say, and I said, if you bring me, if you let me come in, I will put up a graphic saying that I'll be there. And then they said, absolutely. So I would leverage one to get the other. And that became kind of my marketing superpower was leveraging those two things and making it beneficial for both. Yeah. yeah. And ultimately I benefited because I would get, and then I would come in and I would literally sign books all day. I, I would sit there all day. I'd bring them in. And I told them, they, it's funny, B. Dalton's used to call it the Ross rule. I said, I don't want to sign books in your store. I have a couple hundred thousand competitors in there. I'm going to be out here in the hall. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to drag women into your store that weren't even coming into your store. They're going to buy my books. And when they come in, you can upsell them something else. So they loved me. They'd give me all the time I wanted. And that was, that was kind of my marketing aha moment where I thought, you know what? I can sell a lot of books doing this. Whereas other authors who want to be hoity-toity and sit in the back in there and do a reading, they're, they're, I'm going to sell way more books than them. Right, right. Well, obviously you've been successful. You're immensely popular. Uh, you've uh, been successful as a marketing person as well, based upon some of the examples you just shared. But looking back at your career, at, at the uh, arc that your personal brand has, has had, and, and, and in spite of all the success that you've enjoyed, would you have done anything differently? Oh, man. I regret not being involved in social media. Uh, I'm really involved with LinkedIn. I get a lot of great business from LinkedIn and I use it specifically to honor, acknowledge, and thank my clients. So every week, if you follow me on LinkedIn or I connect with you, you'll see that I'm just on a big stage thanking my client, bragging about them, talking about how awesome they are. It's never about me. So I've built a really good following on LinkedIn, but I completely avoided Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube, I have nothing on those platforms. I just decided I was going to be all in on one thing. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I had a really cool book idea and I just, I pitched it to a, uh, to a, to a whale, uh, publicist in the industry of a, 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 a book, uh, for a big publisher. And the first question they asked me is how many Instagram followers do I have? How many Facebook followers do I have? How many YouTube subscribers do I have? 
And I said, none of this, we're not interested. Hmm. And, you know, the content that I have uh, in sports would be amazing. Like I could put out so much content uh, about these interviews, these stories, proprietary, cool stuff, behind the scenes stuff. But I just, I decided I didn't want to go down that path because it's a never ending beast. You have to continuously feed the beast. You know, you're a podcaster. Most podcasts end after podcast six or seven. Right. So to get past that critical point, you've got to keep having new guests, new and it. It's a lot of work. It's technology, it's time, right? To find new sponsors, to find listeners, to find people that want to download it. It's a lot of work. So I decided unless I'm going to be all in great all the time, I'm not going to do it. So my opinion is no social media strategy is better than a crappy social media (laughs) strategy. So I decided to be all in on one thing and do it really good and avoid everything else. But I do have regrets. Yeah. Well, I think that advice of do it well or don't do it at all could probably be applied to a lot of areas in our yeah. life. Yeah, sure. right. So what are you excited about now? You're, you're out in the marketplace. You're talking with executives. You're inspiring business leaders and, and teams. What are you seeing out there now and what really is, is gets you excited? Huh. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm just excited. I love what I do. I'm really lucky. I work, you know, I work with some of the most amazing companies in the world. I get to travel all over the world with my wife, our, our daughter's in college. So we, we get to see her, but we're passionate about traveling. So I've been able to find a career where I can tie it into both. So we just travel together and we do these really fun things when I'm not, when I'm not speaking. And then we get to just kind of enjoy each other. I, I have a theory that when you're alone tra- uh, on the road, you're, you're on the road. But when you're with your spouse, you're traveling. doesn't matter if you're in Des Moines or Moose Jaw, you're, you're, you can find fun stuff to do. And so that's kind of what we do. I've kind of leaned in and embraced the whole lifestyle. Um, but you know, one of my favorite things to brag about is my daughter became Delta Airlines' youngest ever diamond medallion at the age of 13. So <laughs> I've always embraced this lifestyle and we, we brought her all over the world. And you know, I, we, she'd been to all seven continents by the time she was in junior high school. So we just have kind of leaned into this, this lifestyle. And I think that's the key that, you know, I work with a lot of people that hate their jobs. You know, when I'm at conferences, you meet people that just aren't happy. They're not fulfilled. And I think that you really have to be passionate about whatever it is that you're going to do. That's why sports is so much fun because yeah. these, these people are obsessed. They, they do it for free. It's what they've loved their whole lives and they get paid to do it. And they're, and, and, and I love and to be able to, do something that you love. It's the old cliche, find a job you love and never work a day in your life. And, and I'm, I'm lucky that way. So I'm very passionate about it, but I work really, really hard. It's not like I was lucky. I mean, I, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. So I believe in karma and I believe in, in helping people. I mean, you were kind enough to, we worked together on a, on, on a client event from right. with right. your with your business uh, a, a year ago. And so I was so grateful for that opportunity. So when you reached out, I wanted to be able to say, that's awesome, John. How can I help you? Who can I introduce you to? Who are, who are things and people in my world? So I just really believe in karma and helping people. And I'm just really grateful for people that help me. Well, it was a great connecting with you then. And I couldn't wait to have you on as a guest. You've been on my short list of, of guests for a while. And I'm glad <laughs> we were you. finally able to make it, make it work. What I like to do to wrap up an episode with a guest is always ask them what parting words or, or advice they have for our listeners. So any, any parting words or words of wisdom? (laughs) 
You know, there's a great quote. I got to work with the Detroit Red Wings several years ago, and I got to become uh, friends with Scotty Bowman, uh, who was with their organization. He's the winningest coach in the history of the National Hockey League. I'm a big hockey guy from Minnesota, as you can tell. 14 Stanley Cups rings this guy's got. He even named his freaking kid Stanley. That's how passionate this guy is about hockey. But Scotty had this great saying, a goal without a plan, it's just a wish. So set some goals, make some plans. People talk about doing stuff, but they don't do stuff. Do stuff, make calls, build relationships. It's old school. You know, it's, you know we're all talking about chat GPT and, and AI and all these new bright sparkly squirrel things that, you know, that are the new technology. But at the end of the day, you know, COVID, economy, supply chain, Chinese spy balloons, hurricanes, forest fires, floods, tornadoes, government regulations, index yield curves, PE ratios. There's, there's challenges for everyone in every industry. In your world, online universities, right? I mean, everyone's being disrupted. Everyone is changing, adapting. Everyone's got a TikTok channel and this and that. And it's just like, you know what? It's, it still comes down to blocking and tackling. Just the basics, man. Just have a goal, have a plan, work hard, help people, be a good human being. The golden rule, don't be a jerk. <laughs> I, 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 you know, like my grandma always said, it's nice to, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. So mm, simple little okay. things that I think will take you a long way. Yeah, you bet. Well, this has been a pleasure, Ross. Thank you for <laughs> spending time yeah. with us. And we hope to have you back on as a guest sometime soon. Safe I'd travels. love it. I'd be honored. Thank you, yeah, John. Safe travels and all of your journeys. And that wraps up this episode of Your Marketing Moment. Thank you, listeners, for joining. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Your Marketing Moment. This is a production of Act One Partners, a marketing strategy and experiential firm that helps companies elevate and transform their business by knowing their market, telling their story, and living their brand. Be sure to visit our website, actonepartners.com forward slash your marketing moment, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts.